a little bit ironically as we're gathered together virtually is that I want to talk about the importance of gathering together in person. I want to talk about the importance of gathering inside the church, which even though we're not technically gathering, at least not together in the same room today, um, it, 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 we're not doing that today. It's a little bit ironic to talk about it, but I believe it's, it's more important than ever to talk about it. And I want to lay a foundation for why we do believe in the gathering of the church and why we see church as essential. You know, that's the question of our day right now. We're like, what's essential? Um, our shop's essential. Our sport's essential. Our, is my ability to go and get gas and not have somebody else pump it for me essential? What's essential? And I really believe that the gathering together of the church is essential. So yes, we practice caution. Yes, we practice wisdom. But we do that because our goal is to gather together. One of the reasons that we're taking a week off this week is because we want to let the, the health authorities and everything do the best they can do. And it serves our purposes of getting back together in church. I 100% believe in the power and the importance and the essential nature of the church together, gathered and going. The church together, gathered in worship, gathered in fellowship, gathered in serving, and going into the world to make a difference. And I'm preaching already. You can say amen. Just type it in right there. Do, an, uh, do one of those clap emojis and somebody will say, say hallelujah uh, back to you. But right now, the church, even before COVID, uh, was not in vogue. It wasn't like the most popular thing. You didn't see people sort of, you know, racing around each other on the freeway to get to church. And you go, oh, not me, pastor, not me. Okay, well, other people, not those other churches, not Joy Medford, not Joy Eugene, but some of those other people were, were kind of treating church as something to be consumed rather than something that you engage with, okay? And there's a big difference here. Like, I love some good food. I love some of the restaurants here in town, whether it's Placido's Pasta Shop in Jesus' name, come on, or maybe Bill and Tim's Barbecue, uh, Hot Mama's Wings. But you know what? I'm not part of the team. I'm a consumer. So I go and I, I purchase, I, I invest, I get my hot wings and I go home and I eat those wings and I eat my Cajun fries and I enjoy them. But I have a consumption mentality about church kind of, or about restaurants. And this is the same mentality that some people have about church. That they look at it, they go, oh, I like your preaching, Pastor Jake. I like the way you talk. It's real purdy. I like the way Judah sings. It's real purdy. I like the way Pastor Steve preaches. He preaches a little angry, but it's okay. We love him anyways, right? I'm just having fun. But we, 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 we treat church like a consumer, and that's not the, the picture of church that Jesus wants us to have. It's not the experience of church. The experience of church that, is, that we see in the New Testament, the experience of church that we see from Jesus is a church of contributors, a church of people engaged in participation. We say it all the time here at Joy Church Eugene, and I know it's the same for those in Medford, that we are not a church of consumers, we're a church of contributors. We're not a church of spectators just passively observing. We are a church that is participating and engaging in the fellowship of the redeemed and in the work of Jesus in our world. Come on, I'm preaching good already in Jesus' name. And so the church, though, in our society is not necessarily in vogue, and it's because we've given it a consumer mentality. Listen to what somebody said. They said, when you were born, your mother brought you to church. When you were married, your wife brought you to church. When you die, your friends will bring you to church. Why not try coming to church on your own sometime? That's funny. I don't care who you are. I like that. I, I'm going to laugh at my own jokes today. So in this series, we've been talking about a series called We Are Joy, about our culture and DNA and who we are. And we're talking about who we are as a church, why we exist, and what God has called us to do in this city. But today, as we go in this series, We Are Joy, my message is entitled Called Out 
to gather because we're talking about the nature of the church called out of darkness. And I'm going to preach about this in just a second. Uh, I'm just giving you some of my thunder up front just to keep you, keep you moving forward in the message. We're called out of darkness, but we're gathered together into the house of God. We're gathered together into the church for the purpose and the plan of Jesus. And so we're talking about the gathering of ourselves together and the essential nature of the church. Now, understanding this, it starts with understanding the purpose of the church. If we go into the New Testament, we see a word in the Greek language. It's the word ekklesia. And this Greek word, roughly translated, means a gathering or an assembly, okay? And it was used to describe a public assembly, right, or gathering called together or called forth by a a herald or a, a messenger for a particular purpose, so you'll hear people say, well, ecclesia, that, that word for the church, it means, you know, called out. And it does mean that. And it, or, no, it means gathering. It means that too. It, it actually means called out together. That's what it means, okay? Called out together. Now, I want you to imagine that the town, you're in ancient Greece, right? You, you're the goat herder and somebody else is the blacksmith or whatever. And, and the town herald, the town crier, you know, hear ye, hear ye, goes through the town and he's calling everybody out. Come out of your homes. Come out of your businesses. Everybody gather in the town square because we have something that we need to talk about. We have business that needs to be taken care of. Now, this is the word that the New Testament writers, particularly Paul, uses to describe the church of Jesus Christ. Now, the word church actually comes from the German language, uh, the word Kirk, and it gets added in later. So the, the, the truest sense of what we call church is, and, and really to understand it, we have to go to this word ecclesia and realize that it means called out to gather, brought out of what you're doing, of where you are, and then into a new assembly for a particular purpose, to hear a message and to do whatever needs to come from there. And so today's message is called called out to gather. Now, it starts with this. First, we are called out. First, we are called out. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 2.9. Peter was a disciple of Jesus, and this is what he wrote in one of his New Testament letters to uh, Christians in the first century, but it applies to us today. He said, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. These are, these are, this is the language of assembly. This is the language of identity, a new purpose, a new calling. He says, you're a holy nation. You're God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. Even if you're going to be like yelling in a bus somewhere or at Starbucks, wherever you're watching, just say, called out. Say it with me right now. Called out. Peter says, called out of darkness into his wonderful light. How many of you are excited, like I am today, that I'm called out of darkness into the light? That gets me excited, right? There's a personal, amazing relationship that we have with Jesus through the work of the cross, through the work of grace, the work of salvation, this incredible reality that we're saved and reconciled with God. We're called out of darkness. But he goes on, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. In other words, you didn't belong to something. Your identity was lostness. Your identity was darkness. Your identity was sin. You weren't part of the people of God, but now you are part of the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Jesus saved us and saved you from somewhere and he brought you to somewhere. He took us from darkness and brought us into light. But I want to speak to us as modern Americans with our very hyper-individualist idea of salvation and religion. We turn everything into the most narcissistic expression possible. We make it all about ourselves, right? 
How many narcissists does it take to change a light bulb? Just one, because they hold the bulb and the world revolves around them, right? And this is what we do in church. This is what we do as Christians. We're like, I'm saved. I was a sinner, but now I'm a saint. I'm saved by Jesus. And all I need is my, my precious moments Bible devotional and my precious moments prayers put on the bathroom wall. And I can just have my own special time with the Lord. And it's all about me, 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 me. Oh, and Jesus, but mostly me and how he makes me feel. Even the songs we sing in church sometimes, which are great. We sing songs about God's love for us and how amazing it is. And that's great, but there has to actually be this counterpoint that actually you're not just saved as this individual into your own special echo chamber with God, but you were saved from somewhere and you're brought into somewhere. You were taken from a people, from darkness, from being lost, from not being the people of God and brought into the church. That somewhere that you're saved into is the church, the family of God. The scripture tells us that God sets the lonely or the solitary into families. God is in the business of finding the isolated and the, the lonely and those you know, cut off and outside of the family. And he wants to bring everybody to the family table and put you down and slide you up and put a bib on you and say, eat up. Come on, God wants to set the solitary in families. He's looking for the isolated, the lonely. One of the things that, that I've seen just as a pastor through this last you know, time of, of COVID and the, the shutdown and all of this is that we... Just, just watching church services online is not enough. And you go, well, we're watching a church service right now. I get it. It's ironic. But maybe it's actually a spiritual thing that we need to proclaim into this moment, this cultural moment, into this time and this season that, no, we believe the church is essential. We believe that it isn't enough just to be consumers, but actually there's something dynamic like what Jesus said, when two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst that maybe there's an essentialness, there's something that, that there's dy dy dynamic, there's dynamite in the atmosphere when we come together as believers. And this is what God does. He's bringing the lonely into families. Jesus tells us in scripture that he's building his church. You guys, we're called out, called out of darkness to belong to something. And so first, we're called out. Second, we're gathered together. We're brought into the family. And this is where I just wanna proclaim to you today that the gathering of the church is not optional, it's essential. The gathering together of the church is not just up for grabs. And well, the gathering of the church, we just reinvent it. That just means whatever we want it to mean. No, it actually means people connecting together, gathering. There isn't some mystical meaning to this. It means getting together. Now you go, does that mean always in big Sunday churches? No, there's actually all types of gatherings. And we're going to talk about that and explore it. But it's essential. You know, in our time right now, there's people that are willing to fight for abortion clinics are essential, strip clubs are essential, the grocery store is essential, so I can get my chili cheese Fritos and watch the NFL, which is also essential. Kids sports, essential, right? Liquor shops, those are essential. Every, you know, protest, essential. Everything's essential, and yet when it comes to the church, we're very willing to go, ah, not essential, not essential, I can just consume. And you see, there's a problem with that. Because it reflects an underlying bad theology, bad perspective of the church where we go, you know what? Actually, it's not non-essential. Yes, we want to be cautious. Yes, we want to walk in love with our neighbors. You know, today, if you were in the room, I was going to say, guys, let's all wear our masks in the room because we're having a, a spread of this, this pandemic. It's a real thing. I'm not denying that. That's why we're practicing caution we can do those things, but that doesn't mean we throw out the baby with the bathwater. We don't go, oh, because there's a, a pandemic, there will be more pandemics. There will be more reasons to not gather. There will be more reasons to isolate yourself. There will be more reasons to live in fear. There will always be. 
Because that's the world of the fallen, broken world we live in, but that doesn't mean the church is not essential. What about the ecclesia? So we need to make this move from spiritual consumer to spiritual contributor. Being a part of the church is all about being a contributor. I know you're amening right now. I can't hear you, but I know in faith, in the spirit of God, you are amening. You're like, I'm a contributor. You see, you can be a consumer, a good consumer of church all by yourself. If you just want to be a Christian consumer, let me give you a a quick tip, a little hack, a little update for you. There are far better preachers than me that you could be a consumer of. Man, if I was just a Christian consumer, I'm going to listen to some T.D. Jakes. My goodness, that man can preach. Come on, somebody. I'm going to listen to some Stephen Furtick. You want to get built up in your faith? Man, you want, to, you want to listen to a great sermon, Pastor Craig Groeschel? These are amazing men of God. There's amazing women of God. Alex Seeley, you know, listen to Bethany's sermons online if you just want to consume, right? But that's not what we're called to do. You see, you're not just called to, to sit and consume. We're called to be a contributors. So you can consume all by yourself, but you can't be a contributor. We're called to be the hands, of feet in Jesus, hands and feet of Jesus in our communities and to love and serve one another. In fact, Jesus said the distinctiveness, the, the, that's the sauce, that's the thing, that's the distinctiveness of what the world will see that, that signifies that you are my disciples is your love for one another. And when Jesus talks about love, he doesn't mean that sort of worldly tolerant love of, oh, I just love you, but from afar. He's talking about the get your hands dirty, get into the mess, sit down, break bread, fellowship, hear the stories, you know, sit and listen be with people, the 2 a.m. in the morning phone call. He's talking about self-sacrificing, personal, present, good Samaritan love. That's the kind of love that shows the world that we're the disciples of Christ. And so when we talk about the gathering of the church and say it's essential, we're, we're talking about the fact that it's impossible for me to be married alone. It's impossible for me to be a Christian alone. Because that's a consumer mentality. That's what C.S. Lewis said. You you can't be a a married alone. You can't be a Christian alone. There there has to be this coming together because we've been called out, coming together. And in that process, we are experiencing and living out what church is, the ecclesia. Now, John Stott wrote this in his book, uh, The Living Church, which I think is one of the finest documents uh, that I've ever read that talks about ecclesiology, which is the theology of the church. And I would encourage anyone who's interested in this topic, and this is a good time to read about this because we're we're fighting a battle or we're having a cultural conversation about ecclesiology, which is, is the church essential? And so the theology and the, the bedrock scripturally of church and what it means, John Stott wrote this incredible book. And listen to some of the opening words that he wrote in this book, which to me are like a gut punch to my consumer American mentality. He said, first, I am assuming that we are all committed to the church. We are not only Christian people, we are also church people. I'm just going to stop for a second. How many of you do not want to be identified with the church? Oh, I don't want to be identified. I'm not religious. I I don't want to be identified with the church. I'm just, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I'm a Christian, but I'm not part of the church. I don't want to associate with the people that voted for Trump. I don't want to associate with the people that voted for Biden. I don't want to associate with those people. They stand for something. I don't want to be here. I mean, I'm on Twitter and just like, I see this all day long. People want to disassociate themselves from the family of God. We had a situation in our our family where my my kids were kind of having a kerfuffle with some neighbor kids, and it appeared in the moment that one of my children sort of disowned or distanced himself from another one of my kids, and I brought them together, and I was like, right now, we never do that. You you circle the wagons. Even if your brother or your sister is wrong, you are a schmelzer. That's your identity. We associate with one another. We stand together. This is who we are. That's loyalty. That's integrity. 
a lot of Christians right now are like, oh, I'm a Christian, I'll associate with Jesus, but not church people. That's a sinful heart and it needs to be repented of. And so John Stott goes on, he says, we're also church people. We are not only committed to Christ, we are also committed to the body of Christ. At least I hope so. Now listen to these words, because he's spitting fire now. I trust that none of my readers is that grotesque anomaly, an unchurched Christian. The New Testament knows nothing of such a person. For the church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It is not a divine afterthought. It is not an accident of history. On the contrary, the the church is God's new community for his purpose, conceived in a past eternity, being worked out in history, and to be perfected in a future eternity is not just to save isolated individuals and so perpetuate our loneliness, but rather to build his church. That is, to call out of the world a people for his own glory. Indeed, Christ died for us, not only to redeem us from all wickedness, but also to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good, as it says in Titus 2. So then, the reason why we are committed to the church is that God is so committed. True, we may be dissatisfied, even disillusioned, with some aspects of the institutional church, but still we are committed to Christ and his church. You might be sitting here going, well, I've been hurt in church. I've been hurt in my family. I don't disown my family because my sister said mean things to me, you know, one time in our past. Well, I've been hurt in church. The pastor I was with, they were mean to me. They did, yeah, yeah, but that's, this is still the plan of God. Let's get you healed up, but you get back in the game, back into the family. We are still committed to Christ and his church. This is the plan of Jesus. So again, 1 Peter 2, 9, but you're a chosen people, royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, called out, okay? And he goes on, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. We're called out to gather, called out of loneliness into family, called out to gather. This is the ecclesia. This is the church. It is essential now as it has been for 2,000 years and will be until Jesus comes back. It is the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the plan of God to bring the isolated into family. Now, as you may have heard in Next Track, and for those at Joy Medford, I think you guys have Grow Track, Growth Track. Um, we, we have ways that we gather. And, and at Joy Eugene, we just talk about three ways that we gather. One is that we gather in the large gathering, right? That's the, the church service. That's the Sunday, uh, like what we're doing today, where we come together and we proclaim the praises of God. We worship together with passion and we love each other. We serve each other. We're here. We're, we're teaching and growing together and we're proclaiming the gospel. It's a wonderful celebration. That's, that's an aspect of how we gather as the church. The second way is in groups or small groups. We call them joy groups. You might call them connect groups, uh, whatever you call them. We have Zoom groups here, but this is a way that we gather for discipleship and for relationship. And then the last way that we gather are what we call guide moments. And these are those one-on-one, person-on-person, you know, conversations where discipleship and relationship happen, where a lot of times that deep, you know, one-on-one type of connection happens. These are the ways that we gather as the church, Okay. So when I say that the church is essential and that we gather, am I meaning Sunday morning? Yes. But I'm also meaning small groups? Yes. And I'm meaning the one-on-one? Yes. And I want to be sensitive. I understand that right now, because of this pandemic that we're going through, there is people that are vulnerable. There are people that are uh, experiencing fear based on they can't get a a positive test because they lose their job or they wouldn't be able to work for two weeks. I get that. I get that. So hear the truth intention here. Church is essential. Gathering is essential. 
I understand that we have to work through that in our own life. And that's what you have the Holy Spirit and pastors and leaders and the Bible and your own you know, ability to hear from God to wrestle with these questions and work through this. But one of the things we must not do is to, to, is to disaffirm or devalue that which God has affirmed in order to you know, make a cultural moment more relative, th- th- relevant. This is what happens throughout history. It's like we face questions and it makes us uncomfortable. And so a lot of times we'll just pull down God's word. No, we don't do that. We have to affirm what the scripture affirms, that church is essential. Now we say, now we have to work that out in wisdom as we live it out. Okay, so we've talked about ways that we gather, but I want to give you some, some whys, some white hot whys. Why we gather four reasons why we gather together and four things that we do that are essential. Now, this is by no means an exhaustive list because there are probably dozens and dozens of things we could say uh, about why we gather together, but I'm just going to give you four that I find to be very relevant and, and powerful. Number one, we are called out to gather. We're gathered to worship. Gathered to worship. Paul David Tripp says this, corporate worship is designed to remind you that in the center of all things is a glorious and gracious king, and this king is not you. How many of us need to know that, right? We need to learn that. That life and and giving glory in our life is not just about making ourselves glorified and giving ourselves glory and honor and lifting ourselves up. Actually, we're not the center of the universe. We have a God that is worth worshiping a wonderful, gracious, incredible king, and he is the center of the universe, and he is worthy. So we come together as a public proclamation that we exist for the pleasure of God. We exist for the glory of God, and we exist to worship him. We glory in God. C.S. Lewis and other writers have talked about worship, that worship is the, the dearest thing that God can give us because the greatest gift he can give us is an experience of himself and worship is our pathway and our expression of how we delight in and enjoy God. Worship is not non-essential and worship is not just private. Worship is public. Worship is corporate. Worship is something we gather together to do. We gather to worship because God is worthy. What does the word worthy mean? It means full of worth. God has worth and we're recognizing that. That's why we sing. That's why we proclaim. We love him through our worship. Because what? Because of the the gospel that he first loved us. Worship is the response to what God has already done. We don't worship God to get accepted by God. We worship God because we are accepted. And so we revel in his love. It's like when my kids run in in the morning and now they're all getting really big and so they jump on my lap and they're like, oh, and I have to you know, work out more to like support their weight. But it's a wonderful revelry in the love of the father for the children, the children for the father and worship. They, they, you go, well, are you saying they worship you? Well, yes, not in the way that we worship God, but they do. They love their dad. They pull on my beard. They rub me. They, Penny was hugging me yesterday. She had her arms around my neck. Daddy, I love you. I love you, daddy. And I'm like, bring it on, you know? But there's something unique and special about that. And when we come together, we are recognizing God in this way. Now you go, well, isn't worship more than just singing and singing songs and being in a room together? And well, yes, hundred percent. Worship is a lifestyle. But again, let's not, let's not detract from something that matters in order to affirm another truth, okay? We have to think a little deeper. Yes, worship goes beyond the Sunday worship experience, but it doesn't make that non-essential. You hear what I'm saying? Can you worship God by yourself? Yes. Can you worship God on live stream? Absolutely. 
Does that detract from or take away the importance and essential nature of gathering together with the saints, with the body of Christ to worship God in one place? No, it does not. And, and this idea of singing and, and songs and, and this kind of w- w- lifting our hands and dancing and, and expressing our hearts to God and worshiping him in this way, why do we do that? We do that because God asked us to in the scripture. You see, in the Old Testament, they brought bulls and goats and they, they brought you know, sacrifices of wheat and fruit and all these kind of things. And then there's a, a pivot where we give God now the sacrifice of praise. That means when we go, Father, you're beautiful. I love you, God. I worship you, Lord. You're amazing. God, you're incredible. What am I doing? I am bringing the sacrifice of praise. We even do things that make us look a little foolish and a little out of our comfort zone in order to acknowledge and recognize the worth and the value of God. And he says, this is how I want to be worshiped. So that's why we sing. That's why we gather together. That's why we dance. That's why we lift our hands. And you go, well, I, I don't choose to worship God that way. Well, then you're choosing to, dis, to, to ignore what he said he wants. And once again, we come to this place of as disciples of Jesus, do we believe in the Bible? Do we believe in the scriptures? And do we follow what God says or do we make it up ourselves? Because this is a problem in our culture, isn't it? Well, it's all about me. You see, we don't say that. We don't go, oh, it's all about me. But we live that way, so we might as well say it. If you just make your, if if God, if you form him in your own image, you're guilty of idolatry. Instead of saying, no, I want to be transformed by you, I come and I look at you, God, and I, I change, not you. I don't change you based on how I feel. I change based on what you want, ultimately believing that God has our best at heart, which he does. Whenever you give of yourself to the Lord and you choose to worship in the way he wants to be worshiped, you actually are set free to be more of who God's called you to be. So I could talk about that all day, but we bring the sacrifice of praise and our corporate praise invites the presence of God, which invites the power of God and the transformation of God and the fire of God and the life of the Holy Spirit and the joy of God. You see, what we have in our society is not a lack of, of anything, but a lack of the presence of God. We, we have no joy because we have no spirit. We have no peace because we have no righteousness. We have no power because we have no praise. When you connect with your destiny, your inheritance as a child of the living God to come together and worship him and give your life to the house of God and the plan of God and you, you get in line, like you put, your, you put your individualism aside and say, not, not me, but us. I'm coming into the church and our praise lifts up to God and he's enthroned in the praises of his people. And then we get to see the, the outflow of what God does as his presence is poured out in our midst. When we worship God, he shows up and he does what only he can do. You see, I don't know about you, but this year has taught me again and again and again that I don't have enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not righteous enough. I'm not, you know, spiritual enough to be fulfilled and to make a difference in the world apart from God. This has been a year of shaking and many of us have experienced, man, like I feel kind of empty. I've been shaken down, I kind of see that I'm not really as good or strong or whatever as I thought I was. And when we come in worship, what happens is we are inviting God and he shows up and he says, look, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And the shout of the king is among the people of God. In our praises, he is glorified and lifted up and we make much of Jesus and the world sees that the church knows that our hope is in God, not in ourselves, not in our goodness, not in our strength. That's why it's essential and we're gathered to worship and Jesus is in the midst. 
Number two, we are called out to gather and we're gathered to grow. We're gathered to grow. There's something about getting together with other believers, your family, getting together in the church, and it just is annoying. It's just obnoxious. Like, have you ever met me? I'm obnoxious, right? My own wife has to like suffer through me through the whole week. You know, I, I bug myself sometimes. I'm like, can I, could you just leave me alone, Jake? And, and, and some of you, I mean, not at these churches, other people, other Christians, other places in other countries, they, they bother me a little bit. Have you ever been bothered by somebody else? And, and in those moments, guess what you have to do? You either have to get out or you have to grow up. You're forced into this family. It's like with my children. They, they, they fight, you know, they even physically fight sometimes. And we're like, hey, you got to understand, like, you're stuck with these people for life. So you better figure it out. You, you, better, you better figure it out because you're, we're not going to break up the family because you want to watch, you know, princess whatever face and you want to watch ninja dragon or whatever you want to watch. Like, we're not going to go into World War III. Like, we're going to make this work because we're family. And so there's a growth and a maturity that takes place as we come together. Scripture says, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. That's not like, oh, iron sharpens iron. Well, sounds great. That's the, <laughs> the grinding down of you to actually create the edge of what you, know, you, you need to have. So we gather together to grow. Spiritual growth, like natural growth, is often painful and uncomfortable. Can I get an amen? No wonder so many people avoid the gathering. Listen to what happened with these four priests. Uh, four priests, they met for a friendly gathering. Uh, during the conversation, one priest said, Our people come to us and pour out their hearts, confessing certain sins and needs. Let's do the same. Confession is good for the soul. In due time, they all agreed. One confessed he liked to go to movies and he would sneak off when away from his church. <gasps> the second confessed to smoking cigars and the third one confessed to playing cards. When it came time to the for, for the fourth one, he refused to confess. The others pressed him, saying, Come now, we confessed ours. What is your secret advice? Finally, he answered, It is gossip, and I can hardly wait to get out of here. <laughs> How many of you are like, That was all my nightmares about church, right there, right? That, this is why you don't go to group, right? Because of that, right there, you know. There's this process of growth that it's uncomfortable, and you get to see the ugly side, the dark side, the shadow side of other people. A lot of people are like, man, I love Jesus, but I have a problem with the church. And I'm like, join the club. I'm a pastor. Like, I see it all. People are like, oh, pastor, this is the perfect church. I'm so glad I found a home. I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm the pastor of this church, and I can tell you right now, it's not a perfect church. Because you know why? Because I know the people here, right? And they know me. Like, this is not perfect. When you come together, when we gather together, there's the possibility, the potential of growth, because you either have to get out or grow up. And, and this is what happens as we see that. Now, it goes even deeper than this, that the writer of Hebrews actually connects our salvation with our service and with our gathering together. Almost like this church thing actually matters. Almost like it's significant. Almost like there's even a spiritual component to what we do. Listen to what he says, or she, because we don't actually know the writer of Hebrews. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. And we hear that verse, and we go, yes, the gospel. Oh, how sweet the sound, amazing grace that saved my soul. And I have this wonderful new relationship with God as I read about in the book of Romans and 
Jesus has done all this for me, but it's, wait a minute, there's more. They go on, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. This is the same passage. They go on, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. You see, we like to take verses out of context, so we can read that and go, man, I'm just, I come into the presence of God. He's cleansed me from my sins. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, wait a second, this is not an isolated thing. Yes, you are saved, but you're saved into something, and do not neglect the meeting. Do not neglect the gathering, because it is in the gathering that we live out that salvation that Jesus has provided for us. And so we gather to grow. Number three, we're gathered to serve. It was once said there are four main bones in every organization. The wish bones, wishing somebody would do something about the problem. The jaw bones, doing all the talking but very little else. The knuckle bones, those who knock everything. And the back bones, those who carry the brunt of the load and do most of the work. I'll let you figure out what bone you are in the church. In Mark chapter 10, verse 42, Jesus called his disciples together and he said, you know, there are those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Now, I would submit to you that you can't actually do what Jesus is saying. If you say, I want to grow in God, I want to be great in the kingdom, I want to make a difference, then the path that Jesus gives us, the prescription, is the prescription of service. And you can't serve apart from having someone to serve. You can't lay your life down for a friend and exemplify the greatest love that Jesus calls us to exemplify if you don't gather, if you don't have connection, if there's no one to serve. Jesus goes on, whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I'm just gonna like preach right now because I get really naughty on live stream because there's not really that many people to hold me accountable in the room. So I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna go for it. Is that all right? You can't say no, so I'm gonna do it anyways. So right now in our culture, there's this social gospel of like, man, the government should do and this should do and it's all very big and grandiose and we need to love these people and love the world. And, and, but when it comes time to actually put your money where your mouth is, there's, there's, a, there's a big lack it's like my love is, I can't, I, you don't share love through your vote, guys. Should you vote? Yes, go register to vote. Vote. And I'm not telling you who to vote for. Vote for Jesus Christ. Let him lead your life. But you know what? We don't share, the, we don't establish the kingdom of God with our vote in the American election. We, we establish our vote in the kingdom of God and how we love and serve and actually lay our life down for real people. Not this kind of like this, our country needs to do, the church needs to. If anybody ever comes to me and says, well, why doesn't the church do X, Y, Z? I say, who are you? You are the church. You have a heart for X, Y, Z. You go and do it. You go and gather your brothers and sisters. Everybody always, I want to get up in front of the church and give an announcement about the, th-. no. You do it because you are commissioned. You are called. You're called to serve, but you can't serve all by yourself as a consumer. You have to embrace, hey, this is my family and I'm taking on the family business, the family mission of the kingdom of God, what my church is all about. And as I embrace that, God actually unlocks and and, and does some amazing things through my personal vision of what God's called me to do. But we find meaning in being part of this bigger thing. And so we're gathered to serve. And you know, I've just found that it's actually really fun for the most part, to be a Christian all by myself. Like when I'm in my private devotions in the morning and I get, you know, I get up and I, 
you know, I sit down, I got my coffee and I get my perfect worship playlist off Spotify dialed in, boom, right there. And, you know, I look out and the, the sun's coming up and I'm sitting there with my, you know, Oregon Ducks mug, God's team, so it's even more righteous and my black coffee just boom, and I get into the word, and it's rich, and the Lord is expressing his love for me, and I'm in prayer, and bringing my petitions, like, that's great, that's great, that's not hard, that's not like, oh man, the grind, no, that's like the fun part, right, not always, but most of the time, it's when you have to come together and actually serve, when people are like leaving gum under the seats of our brand new chairs, how dare you in Jesus' name, and it's my children, you know, but, and you're like, oh, I have to actually do this, like, what do you mean I have to clean I wanted to do white throne ministry. I thought that was worship team. No, no, it means cleaning toilets, like serving in the house. But guys, we're gathered to serve. Okay, I'm going to leave that one alone. I think I'm offending too many people. Half of Joy Medford quit the church, and I feel bad about that, guys. I'm sorry. But uh, number four, we're gathered to reach. We're gathered to reach. Even as we, as individuals, were called out of darkness into the church, the family of God, we are called into the harvest field to call other people to salvation. This is the cool thing about God's family is it's not an exclusive club where you're in and now we just try to keep all the other people out. Actually, it's the opposite. As William Temple once said, it's the only membership organization that actually exists for the non-members. That we are called into the church, but we're called out into the harvest field to call other people to salvation. Jesus called us to go and make disciples. And as we've seen, you can't go unless you're starting from somewhere, and you can't make disciples without leading them somewhere. So I'll hear people say all the time, oh, we need to be making disciples, making disciples. What does that mean to you? Because it's just word salad, and it's just, it's just abstract until we say, actually, a disciple is someone who actually is a part of what Jesus is building. You see, when Jesus told his disciples to go and make disciples, there weren't Christians. That, they were it. That was it but they formed the church. A a disciple apart from the church, as John Stott said in the quote that I read to you previously, is is an aberration. It's it's, it's actually an abomination because there is no such thing as a Christian who rejects the body of Christ. That's That's like a hand, this is Halloween time right now, right? That's just crawling around. That doesn't work. It's not how the, the, the plan of God is set up. And so we're called to go and lead people to the church. Now, what about those who say, I'm not called to be an evangelist. That's not my calling. I'm, I'll serve, I'll gather, and I'll, I'll do that, but I'm not called to be an evangelist. Listen to the words of William Booth. They're very challenging. He was the founder of the Salvation Army. He said, not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burdened, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come there. Then look Christ in the face whose mercy you have professed to obey and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world. Jesus called his disciples, he called us out of darkness, but he called us to be fishers of men. He called the church to reach. We're gathered but we're gathered to go. We're gathered to proclaim. We're gathered to reach out. That's our mission. We go out among the world and bring them in to the body of Christ. Now, as we get ready to close today, I just want to just reaffirm that the gathering, the ecclesia, the called out to gather is essential in our day and age. And I'm challenging each and every one of you to stand and proclaim 
what God has affirmed, even as we work it out and wrestle through the questions and deal with it, right? In our day and age, in our cultural moment, we want to affirm what God affirms, that the church is the plan of God. Listen to what John Burstecker said. He said, when it was built for an international exposition in the last century, the structure was called monstrous by the citizens of the city who demanded it be torn down as soon as the exposition was over. Yet from the moment its architect first conceived it, he took pride in it and loyally defended it from those who wished to destroy it. He knew it was destined for greatness. Today, it is one of the architectural wonders of the modern world and stands as the primary landmark of Paris, France. The architect, of course, was Alexandre Gustave Eiffel. His famous tower was built in 1889. In the same way, we are struck by Jesus' loyalty to another structure, the church, which he entrusted to an unlikely band of disciples whom he defended, prayed for, and prepared to spread the gospel. To outsiders, they and we must seem like incapable blunderers. But Jesus, the architect of the church, knows this structure is destined for greatness when he returns. You guys, the church is the plan of Jesus. We dare not neglect her. We must embrace her and enrich her with our very own lives. Jesus is building a house and we all have a part to play. You personally have been called out of darkness to gather together and also to go and bring in the lost and the lonely. Now let me leave you with this quote. This is an unknown source, but I think it will speak clearly to what we wanna see. This is my church. It is composed of people just like me. It will be friendly if I am. It will do a great work if I work. It will make generous gifts to many causes if I am generous. It will bring others into its fellowship if I bring them. Its seats will be filled if I fill them. It will be a church of loyalty and love, of faith and service. If I who make it what it is am filled with these. Therefore, with God's help, I dedicate myself to the task of being all these things I want my church to be. Join with me in prayer. Father, right now, I just thank you that you have a plan for the church. It is your plan for this broken and hurting world that you would call the lonely and the solitary out of darkness and you'd bring them into the family. Lord, that we look at the church and we see blemishes and stains and scandals and bad things and We've seen pastors fail and leaders fail. We've seen parishioners fail. We've seen even ourselves fail in the part of the church, but we affirm today what you affirm, that it is your plan. And we affirm today, even against culture right now, that would seek to say the church is not essential. It's just something you can sit all by yourself and consume. We go, no, it's not. It's more than that. It matters because it matters to God. Whether I grasp that intellectually, whether I grasp that, whether it even has a cost for me personally, I embrace the sacred mission and the sacred purpose of the local church that Jesus, you are building. Lord, we, we affirm what you affirm today. And I pray God that you would stir in us a heart of faith, not of fear. Lord, we walk with wisdom as you teach us to do. And we wrestle with questions in, in a moment of culture and history and time that is difficult and confusing. And Lord, we're not saved by getting it right. We're saved by your grace, but we affirm what you affirm and we, we stand on your truth and we stand on your word that your church matters in this day and age. 
Lord, I pray for Medford. I pray that that Joy Church Medford would be a bastion, a stronghold of the gospel, of your goodness, of worship, a place that thousands upon thousands of people would come to be healed, restored, brought into your family and sent out into the harvest field. The same, Lord, for Joy Eugene, God, that you're building a house. You're building something here by the side of the freeway that, Lord, is evident not just in this building, but it's evident in our live streams. It's evident in our Zoom groups. It's evident in our joy groups. It's evident as we break bread. It's evident as we go to watch the organ ducks play. It's all around that your body gathered and going is essential and momentous in this time. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this word today. Let us embody it and say, no, it's my church. I am the church. I'm part of the body of Christ and I stand. I'm called out to gather together in Jesus' name. Real quick, before we get ready to to go beat all the other uh, churches to the best restaurants today, uh, in Jesus' name, uh, I wanna give you an opportunity to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Now, I know that every single week, whether it's online, whether it's in the, the room here, people come looking for hope, looking for life, looking for answers. And what you're looking for is a relationship with Jesus. You know, I've been talking all about the church and you go, man, I wanna be a part of that. I wanna be a part of the the plan of God. I wanna be a part of his family. And you can absolutely today. And it starts with putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for your sins and mine. He made a way for us to be reconciled with God. And so I'm just gonna pray and ask that you would pray along with me. And we're gonna give you an opportunity to take a next step with that. Uh, even as we meet virtually today uh, in just a minute. So just pray this along with me. Everybody can pray along. Dear Jesus, I place my faith and trust in you. I confess my sin to you. I have not lived up to your perfect standard, but I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you made uh, a way for me to be reconciled with my father. I ask you for the grace to be a follower, to be a son or a daughter, be a part of your family, I trust you with my life and I give it to you today. And I receive your life, I receive salvation and I thank you for eternal life that you're giving me today. I thank you that you're bringing me into the family of God. I love you, Lord, and I give you this. I give you my life in Jesus' name, amen. Awesome, God bless you.